This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice podcast, your bi-weekly source of news, views and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS, who has had no influence on the content or choice of faculty. Once again, I'm James Bannister. And I'm Emma Phillips. In today's session, we'll be discussing clinical inertia, in particular, the delay in advancing to an injectable-based treatment regimen and what barriers might contribute towards this. Earlier this year, the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice team worked with Professor Stephen Bain and patient advocate Mr Ken Tate to produce a video-based e-learning module discussing this topic, including the fears people face surrounding treatment escalation and how to combat these. If you're interested in exploring this topic in further detail and receiving CME credits for it, we'd recommend visiting the GLP-1 Receptor Agonist section of knowledgeandpractice.eu to complete this module, titled Escalating to Injectable Therapy, an Interactive Patient Journey. We're going to share some of the key highlights from the module in today's episode, followed by an expert interview with Dr. Alexander Miras. As always, please do feel free to skip ahead to this interview if you're very familiar with this therapy area. Also, for further reading, you can find links in the episode description to all of the publications we mentioned in today's episode. Globally, people with diabetes are not managing to achieve guideline-recommended glycemic targets. In a large-scale European study conducted by Stone and colleagues, published in 2013, the investigators found that only 54% of people with type 2 diabetes achieved adequate glycemic control. One component which is contributing to the failure to achieve these targets is delays in intensification of therapy at multiple treatment stages, be it from first diagnosis to oral medication to second and third line medications or the initiation of injectable therapies. This delay is known as clinical inertia. Since 2012, ADA and EASD guidelines have recommended intensifying pharmacotherapy if a patient is unable to meet their individualised HbA1c target after three to six months of their current treatment plan. This usually means the addition of an oral or injectable antihyperglycemic agent in a stepwise approach. However, in 2013, Kunti et al. found that rather than three to six months, it took six to seven years on average for people to advance to insulin, even when already receiving triple therapy and a mean HbA1c as high as 9.7% before intensification. That was back in 2013, but there have not been signs of improvement, and current data suggests this is still an issue. For example, in 2016, Lynn et al. identified that around 70% of patients experienced clinical inertia within the last six months, and a 2018 report by Pantalone et al. found that almost two-thirds of their research cohort did not receive treatment intensification, despite being above target HbA1c for at least six months and receiving two oral antihyperglycemic agents. Clinical inertia ultimately leads to suboptimal glycemic control, and this is associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, chronic kidney disease, and retinopathy. For example, Kunti and Miller-Jones' 2017 review, published in Primary Care Diabetes, demonstrated that if treatment intensification is delayed by at least one year, that person is approximately 60% more likely to experience a cardiovascular event within five and a half years. It is therefore vital for healthcare professionals and people with diabetes to work together to overcome clinical inertia and intensify treatment in an appropriately rapid manner. In doing so, the person with diabetes is more likely to achieve their glycemic targets and remain at a healthy HbA1c, reducing their exposure to hyperglycemia and, as demonstrated by the UKPDS study, reduce their long-term risk of cardiovascular disease. So, how can clinical inertia be addressed? 
As Ken Tate and Professor Steve Bain discussed in our e-learning module, managing expectations is very important when treating people with diabetes. Many people with diabetes associate the need to escalate treatment with a failure on their part, and some would rather keep trying to establish control through diet and exercise rather than move on to medication or increase or switch an existing medication. It's important to remind patients that type 2 diabetes is a progressive condition and as one grows older, HbA1c levels will naturally rise. While lifestyle modifications may be sufficient early on, people may ultimately need to move on to medications and then add additional medication on top. And this is to be expected and not a sign of failure on their part. By providing this information up front, you can manage expectations, emphasise that progression is not a sign of failure and hopefully decrease anxiety surrounding escalation later down the line. People with diabetes often worry about the side effects that come with escalation. For example, Sachin Kunti et al.'s recent paper in Therapeutic Advances in Endocrinology and Metabolism reports that fears of hypoglycemia and weight gain are major factors, explaining why the uptake of insulin therapy was low among several patient survey respondents. In the discussion segment of our e-learning module, Professor Bain advised to be honest and upfront with the person with diabetes. His advice included letting patients know that medications are generally well tolerated. However, side effects can occur, but will normally settle over time. In terms of GLP-1 receptor agonists, doses can also be increased gradually to limit side effects. It is helpful to discuss benefits of the medication and how these outweigh the side effects. Ultimately, Professor Bain suggests that escalated treatment and achievement of glycemic control can help a person with diabetes encounter fewer problems later down the line. In addition to general resistance to treatment escalation, patient perceptions of injectable therapies can prevent escalation to a GLP-1 receptor agonist or insulin-based treatments. Kunti et al.'s paper further reported injection-specific concerns, including fear of needles, as well as concerns about the pain of injections as sources of inertia. In our session, both experts suggested discussing and addressing these fears. This includes reassuring patients about the painless, uncomplicated nature of injectable agents. Overall, the issue of clinical inertia seems to stem from lack of communication and education among clinicians and patients. While these papers suggest increased communication, what does this actually look like in the clinic and how do we accomplish this? Joining us this week is Dr Alexander Mires from Imperial College London to talk through practical tips on how to overcome clinical inertia. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Miris. In your experience, how do patients react when you speak to them about escalating their therapy, and how do you overcome any fears or anxieties surrounding intensification? Yes, so intensifying therapy in type 2 diabetes uh, usually comes as a disappointment to patients, many of them thinking that their medications are not working or that they are doing something wrong. Um, but uh, after a explanation uh, that uh, diabetes is a progressive disease which requires uh, increasingly more treatments uh, over the course of time, uh, i.e. taking the blame away from the patient helps uh, when uh, a new therapy uh, is started. That that the same uh, applies for oral therapies uh, or injectable therapies. It is also a disappointment to the patient when you tell them that uh, the, a new therapy will be on top of whatever they're already taking, uh, which uh, is something which contributes to pharmacotherapy, and this is something that the patients are not very keen on. Uh, now, when it comes to 
uh, anxieties and fears, uh, it all depends on what the injectable therapy is. Uh, and we need to make that very clear. Uh, in the past, when we did not have GLP-1 receptor agonists, the only injectable therapies available was insulin. And insulin is not my favorite medication for type 2 diabetes, and I can understand the reasons why patients do not like it. Not only does it involve the injection, uh, which is only very slightly painful, but it is associated with uh, weight gain and hypoglycemia, uh, both of which patients really dislike. And uh, more recently, though, uh, unfortunately, we have had the introduction of GLP-1 receptor agonists, and they have changed the landscape. They have changed the landscape of diabetes, but also of injectable therapies. So when I introduce a GLP-1 receptor agonist, the fear of the needle itself in the vast majority of people stop becoming a problem, especially now with the injectable therapies being used once a week. And perhaps there might be even longer preparations coming in the future. So the needle itself doesn't, is not the problem. Uh, what patients... Uh, really like to hear and also uh, enjoy experiencing is that these medications can cause weight loss. And if the medication is successful, then again, uh, there is no much of a problem when it comes to uh, continuing with this escalated uh, treatment. And uh, the absence of hypoglycemia with these medications is also very much welcomed by the patients. Now, I think you covered this a little bit in your previous response, but the injectable nature of some treatments seem to cause some notable concern among patients. How do you typically go about these discussions about intensifying to injectable-based therapy in the clinic? Yeah, so I don't have to, um, to spend too much time introducing GLP-1 receptor agonists. Uh, the moment patients hear weight loss, uh, that normally does the trick, uh, and they do not need more convincing than that. Um, so I don't usually, certainly in my practice, and I do deal mostly with patients who have got type 2 diabetes together with obesity, I do not see a barrier. There will be a very small percentage of people uh, that will see this as a problem, but even those with time will be convinced to carry on using the medication. The difficult conversation becomes when we I need to start using insulin, which is a medication that even I personally do not like using. So, which means that number one, I'm going to try every other alternative. But if I have no choice, I will explain to the patient that I have no other choice. So I explain to them that it is, and in a way, insulin is a bit of an evil, uh, but it is a necessary evil to control their disease. And... Uh, one of the ways of approaching this uh, is to uh, start the patient on a once daily insulin when an insulin treatment is needed instead of embarking on two, three or four injections every day from the beginning. So it's a gradual introduction to insulin. This session has talked a lot about seeing patients in the clinic and having face-to-face -face conversations during appointments. However, what about people who are less engaged with diabetes care services? Do you have any advice on how to engage patients who may only attend an appointment once every year or so? Yeah, um, 
these patients uh, can cause problems. I mean, if they are very well controlled and there is not an issue, that's kind of okay, that's acceptable. Uh, but if they're uncontrolled, uh, then we have a problem, not necessarily in the short term, but in the long term. And these uh, people are the ones that uh, will are likely rather to have problems and cause uh, more time uh, to be uh, invested in them in the future. So um, the key there is not to address the pharmacotherapy problems uh, because that's not normally the, the cause. Uh, we need to address the cause of them not attending, the cause of them not engaging, which normally is a, uh, is a personal problem, something there's something wrong at work or uh, back home something wrong with uh, their mood, for example. So there's no point in addressing the pharmacotherapy at all, unless you have addressed the root cause of them not engaging, in which case you would like to uh, involve diabetes nurses, uh, perhaps a psychologist, if it is available, uh, the patient GP, and any other support, family support, children, and so on, to try and engage with them. And if you have, and if you achieve this, then the rest becomes a lot easier. With the final two minutes we have, do you have any parting advice for our listeners on how to avoid clinical inertia in our clinics? I think that we should be a lot more proactive with the prescription of GLP-1 receptor agonists. I understand they are expensive, uh, but they come with significant benefits for the patient. So I am very much uh, a supporter of their early use, even sometimes as a second line agent. Uh, and it is true that with time, and that's indeed happening already, they will become cheaper. Uh, and uh, we just need to wait. But in the moment, we would, we would be doing our patient a disservice uh, if we're not prescribing it to them, if, of course, they uh, stand to benefit from them. Thank you very much for your time today, Dr. Miras. Pleasure. This brings us to the end of today's time. To summarize, it is important to ensure we communicate effectively with people with diabetes to overcome clinical inertia and follow guidelines advocating for early escalation. Ultimately ensuring we support people with diabetes in hitting their HbA1c targets will have a lower risk of complications for them further down the line. Try speaking to your patients to understand their fears and try to reassure them where you can. If you'd like to learn more about supporting your patients with early escalation, please do visit knowledgeandpractice.eu, where you can find lots of education and advice on this topic. Once again, you can also find the links to all the publications and guidelines mentioned in today's episode in the description notes. If you'd like to hear more from us on the latest developments in diabetes, you can subscribe to the podcast across all major apps or stream individual episodes from our website. If you found this episode useful, please leave us a review or tweet us at DKI Practice. Thank you for joining. Join us again in another two weeks for our final episode of the year, providing a summary of 2019's highlights in the diabetes field. 